Expansion Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode number 67, Forced Landings Gone Bad, and Tips to Avoid Landing at the Wrong Airport, coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host, Len Costa. Joining me on the show today are my favorite group of aviation blockheads. Starting first with the biggest blockhead of them all, Mr. Carl Valeri. Welcome. Hey, hey, I resemble that remark. Gosh. <laughs> you know, it, it, I'm, I'm a blockhead, but I think I'm an ice blockhead this evening because I'm up in the cold north. And truly, I, I chose to be in New Jersey as opposed to Florida today. Chose. That is being, <laughs> being a blockhead. <laughs> it See? defines yeah. it right there. Gosh, it, it, there's just too much snow up here, guys. It really is. I, I can't wait this is, until this is over. Yeah, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't blame you. I got a, a uh, text message from my parents yesterday. Actually, it was today uh, from New Hampshire, and Rick can attest to this, but this, the yeah. snow was even a, about a foot over the mailbox, um, yeah, it, where it had been snow blown and plowed, it was just ridiculous. I don't, I don't miss that. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, Carl. Sorry, you're you're a little colder than normal, but it's good to have you here today. Yes. Uh, Sean Moody joining us today. Welcome. How are you? Hey, doing pretty good. Uh, happy to report that I'm pretty sure the last snowflake uh, from the past month or so melted off today. Uh, but we're going to be paying for it when the storms roll through tomorrow. <laughs> More storms, that's all I need. Oh, yeah. Uh, Have fun with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was telling these guys off air, we had all this snow two days ago, and it caused all kinds of problems. Then yesterday it all melted, and I was like, really? You know, if it's, <laughs> if it's going to snow, stay cold. None of this, you know. No, incon- no, no. Don't be I inconvenient disagree. one day and then <laughs> 50 the next day. Uh, anyway, good to have you. Good to have you. Uh, also, Rick Felty's joining us today from somewhere cold and snowy. <laughs> How's it going, yes. Rick? <laughs> Outside of Boston, great. We had we, we, we got about six or, or so more inches two days ago and then today it was just above freezing and it rained. And I thought of this. I was, I was shoveling. Well, I was shoveling off the the little bit of sludge on the driveway, and I thought, yes, I drove home and pulled into my driveway and encountered known icing, for sure. <laughs> um, but no, it was fine. But it is a mess, and you know. But winter's winter. winter and I know winter. there are people who listen to this podcast who have it worse than uh, than we do. So yeah, I they won't do. Gripe too much. No, I, I don't. I don't complain. It's just funny to laugh at the uh, the inconvenience, and then it all oh, yes. melts. And it, it, you know, even you, not you're yeah. like an hour from my parents, and you had. Yeah. You probably, I guess, it sounds like you didn't get as much snow as they did yesterday. They got but, bombarded. But no, we, yeah, they got bombarded. I mean, yeah, it's been often. Some of them have been more southern storms. Some of them have gone north more. And but, but you can drive by large piles of snow. You know, they line the driveway, mm-hmm. and you can't quite see the oncoming traffic at all because. So you you notice that things are a little different than they used to be. Yeah. But uh, you know, a few more weeks, and it'll all be different. It sure will. <laughs> it sure will. That so uh, we're having fun. 
Yeah, the groundhog hopefully predicted wrong and it gets warm really fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, looking forward to it. Very good, very good. Well, uh, this uh, on today's show, Victoria is uh, actually not going to be joining us. She's uh, not sick this time. Actually, uh, is, is not. Is, she's feeling better. At the last one or two shows, she wasn't feeling good, and then she, there was a power outage. And uh, today, actually, she is taking some time away to finish uh, some of the uh, the last minute details for some of the women uh, women of aviation uh, world. Let's see, Women of Aviation Week worldwide. I always say that backwards. There it is. So she won't be joining us today. But uh, once again, I'm Len Costa, and this is episode number sixty-seven. Let's do the pre-flight. Today, we've got a few announcements, as uh, we like to share at the beginning of the show. First uh, comes from Rick today. Tell us about your announcement. Uh, yeah, it's a, um, let me click on the link that I had found. It was just an article that actually, I think someone else, uh, a listener posted on um, Twitter, I think I saw it. Um, and it's actually, it, now that I look at it, it's the, it was an article on the international edition of CNN. Um that was uh, that that's called the world's 14 best aviation museum museums and it's cool not you know it's it's not just domestic so there's a whole lot of range of of museums out there around the world and um, I haven't been to too many of them but uh, I think you guys commented that you'd been to more than you thought um, and uh, no spoiler alert here the number one is the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum and uh, but there's a lot of them on the list uh, in in various countries around the world <laughs> and I think we'll put a we'll, we'll put a link to that in the um, in the uh, show notes uh, so you guys can check it out but I thought it was pretty cool I don't know if you if, Len, if which ones you've been to or or any of the guys yeah I'm just looking through it now I, I noticed there's two that I've actually been to. And yeah. number number ten on the list is that uh, Canadian Aviation Museum we talked mm-hmm. about before. Yeah. yeah, I've definitely been to the Smithsonian National Air and Space. Um, right. The other one, the other couple, yeah. see, the other one was the one in Dayton, Ohio, which, uh, interestingly enough, was one of my more favorites because they have the um, they have a uh, entire display of presidential aircraft. And it was really cool because you got to walk through some of the old Air wow. Force Ones that were in there. Uh, and that was that was definitely really neat. But the other one um, that I, I didn't even realize was considered an aviation museum, if you will, is the, uh, it says the Future of Flight Center Boeing Tour. Oh, now, oh, yeah. A really quick story about that. When I actually, before I got a job at the airline, I was an intern. And one of the... Uh, one of the benefits of the internship was we um, actually they knew some people knew some folks over at uh, the the Boeing production plant and arranged for us to have a VIP tour. So we went out there and got to do uh, you know they do tours, but at kind of like a more higher level from um, uh, kind of like a catwalk or something behind glass. They took us on this private tour. Uh, they took us on the floor, and we were crawling inside these aircraft as they were being manufactured, inside the wings, inside the fuselages. <laughs> it was the coolest experience. Wow. I, I, I can't say that many others uh, will get that on, on the, the typical Boeing tour, but that was definitely cool. And I didn't even realize that was one of them that's, you know, quote-unquote, a, uh, a museum. But that was, that was a neat experience. I really enjoyed that. 
Wow. Well, yeah. So this is just a cool, um, a cool list that somebody took the time to put together and agree or not agree with it. There's a bunch of stuff on here. Some, some things you may want to check out, uh, you know, or look to make trips, you know, all over the world. So very yeah. cool. Very cool. All right. I'm going to pause here and add Sean back. Hello. Hey there. That was weird. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was, everything was, uh, it's all right. Um, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Double check your microphone. It sounds like you are maybe on your iPhone headset. Oh, that would make sense. There you go. Listening now on. it came back. Okay. Good deal. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. Okay. So we just finished the discussion about the aviation museums, and I'm going to ask Rick, uh, excuse me, sh- uh, who the hell am I talking to? <laughs> Carl. <laughs> That's staying in. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Carl, about his announcements. <laughs> okay, here we go. Yeah, very cool. Um, Carl, tell us about your announcements. You know, uh, Victoria is not with us uh, this evening, and, but uh, we're still thinking about her, and she's involved with a, a most important event. And that one of these announcements is that event, Women of Aviation Worldwide Week, and uh, the one that Len can't pronounce. But he sure has helped out a lot, and uh, it's just a really, really fun event. It's going to be all over the world, but uh, if you get a chance, take a look at the website. It's uh, womenofaviationweek.org. And the reason they put this together is, you know, there's just uh, in certain, depending on statistics you see, they have one on the website shows that, you know, one woman in every 4,000 is is a pilot, and they're trying to get those numbers up. And to do that, they've put together this, this uh, event which brings in some pretty famous aviators and, uh, you know, astronauts and some very inspirational people. Now, just because it says Women of Aviation Worldwide Week doesn't mean it's not open to everybody. Everyone can go to this. And it really, I, I tell you, uh, having been to one, it's, it's truly inspirational. The people's stories, actually seeing people taken to the air on their first flight and the look on their faces when they land and come out of the airplane, that to me is probably one of my favorite things about aviation and one of my favorite things about this event. If you're thinking of getting involved, that would be great if you want to go and try to find one. Uh, go to the website. It's going to be from March 3rd to March 9th, and uh, they have this every year. So it's just a few days away um, from the recording today. It's uh, they, There's a little clock on the top there. As a matter of fact, we're recording this today. It's 11 days, 18 hours, 33 minutes, and 54 seconds. Not that anybody's counting. But uh, there's a bunch of challenges there's different prizes. Uh, they, they've really, this has truly grown. And I think, you know, the, the person that, that we can attribute to a lot of this growth to also is Victoria. She's been a, a wonderful help with this organization. And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons she's not here tonight. And boy, I, I really, hats off to her. I wish, I wish she was here today. I'd say I really, really appreciate the work she's done. Oh, and if you want to donate, you can. As a matter of fact, I just ordered my T-shirts and I can't wait to wear mine. So again, Women of Aviation Week. Uh, Women of Aviation Worldwide Week. See, see, I can't. See? I, can't I'm, I'm I, only, I don't like know what when. it is with week and worldwide. <laughs> I always uh, sometimes I say it in the right order, sometimes I say it backwards. It's just it's very complex for me. <laughs> Wesley Webbit. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a terrific organization. I tell you, I, I, I can't say enough about these folks and the, the inspirational stories, the inspirational events, and uh, the really the it's all about the people that come and and fly and 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 also the people get inspired and. The, 
and the stories that are on there. That's just such a neat, neat organization. But uh, so yeah, check that out. Uh, the third and the ninth. Um, let's see. I actually have another uh, announcement too, since it is March. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the March Aviation Society has their March Field Air Fest, and March Air Reserve Base is actually out in California. So uh, if you're in the California area, try to check it out. It's uh, it's actually they're going to have uh, the Thunderbirds coming on March 22nd and 23rd of this year. And uh, one of the, if you can't make that event, and of course the Thunderbirds, uh, excuse me, not the Thunderbirds, the Blue Angels are just such a cool, cool uh, show. But one of my other favorite things besides flying is beer. And they have the annual brew fest every year in November. So if you can't make it there in March, try to make that in in, uh, November. I don't know if you've seen this before, but there's some pretty cool craft brews out there. There's a new one. I think we may have talked about this, uh, Hangar 24 Craft Brewery. Oh, I haven't and heard of them. Yeah. It's, I signed up for their newsletters, and they've came, been watching them over the past uh, couple years, finally come out with uh, with some beer. So the Air Fest and the Brew Fest, uh, you know, two wonderful things. And, and uh, it's, really, it's really neat to see. Here is California. Having a brew fest, you always associate that with wine. Wine, yeah, and yeah, and I just I think that's that's pretty cool that they're doing that. But you know, all these different microbrews are get very popular throughout. Mm-hmm. Again, the Airfest is, um, I think, probably one of their their biggest you know money makers in general, and uh, also for all those other shows out there. I really hats off to the fact that we're we're actually going to have those shows again. As a matter of fact. Uh, that's going to happen at Sun and Fun too. The the Blue Angels will be there. So, and we'll have a link to this. The March Aviation Society. Figure it was March, March Air Show, March Aviation Society, March Field Air Fest, it's Thunder Over the Empire. So check it out. Looks March, like fun. March, 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 yes. March. Very How many good. Times can you say March? <laughs> a few more. I could say it a few more. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Rick and Carl. So we have uh, just uh, one last announcement, uh, the usual announcement on the show, about our VIP email list available at stuckmygavcast.com forward slash VIP. Go ahead and uh, pause the show, type that into your browser, sign up uh, for our VIP list. If you already have, thank you for doing so. If not, uh, like I said, hit that pause button. Go there right now. Lots of fun things happening over there. Uh Generally, sneak previews to the shows days uh, before they're aired to the general public. Other things, uh, sometimes when I find extra swag laying around the house, I send that out uh, exclusively to our VIP list. So uh, definitely check that out. And a very quick shout out to our sponsor, Aviation Universe. Check them out, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash Aviation Universe, that is Chicago's premier aviation emporium here uh, in Bensonville, Illinois. Uh, Great folks, great products, and uh, a lot of cool stuff. If you're not local to the Chicago area, still a great group of of folks to deal with. They do tell me if you're in the market for some aviation product that they don't carry, they'll uh, do their very best to find it for you. And uh, a lot of cool things going on over there, so do check them out. Now entering cruise flight. So, we've got uh, a couple of interesting stories involving landings today. Uh, Landings gone bad and tips to uh, minimize the error of landing at uh, the wrong airport. Now, I know we've all heard a lot of stories in the news lately about landing at wrong airports. But first, I wanted to share a story. And let me, you know... Let me preface this by saying uh, what we're about to discuss 
is not Monday morning quarterbacking, not to judge the pilot's abilities or decisions, but to look at a story, uh, the way it's occurred and the way it's presented, and sort of dissect, uh, you know, some things that you may think, uh, was it a good choice? Was it a bad choice? What I'm talking about is a story that occurred um, in January. It was down in New Zealand, and uh, it, it, it's a story that involves an aircraft that had engine troubles in flight. In fact, uh, so I, I did some more research on the internet today, and it seems as if there was uh, more than some engine difficulties, but that the engine actually stopped. The pilot obviously had to make a forced landing and, and successfully did so on the beach. Now, here's where it gets interesting. After, you know, being fortunate to, I don't want to say survive, but, you know, come, come, come through with a successful forced landing, some, some decision process took place, and all of a sudden the pilot decided to take off and depart from said beach. And during so, ended up veering, um, the aircraft veered sharply to the left and found itself nosed over with a busted wing and bent prop in the ocean. And so, you know, I just kind of think of this story and I think, you know, we, we, we all talked about this a little briefly off offline before the show today, kind of trying to, trying to, trying to come up with an idea of who Sean's like, Am I the only one that thought that was kind of ballsy, or am I just sure, you know th- don't don't feel confident in my abilities? And I, you know, my comment was, I think if I was fortunate enough to survive a forced landing as a result of an a, you know a engine failure, the last thing I want to do is take off in that aircraft again before an A and P or a mechanic or the appropriate engineers had an opportunity uh, to look at it. So, you know, that's kind of one of my, one of the things I've gleaned off of this. Um, what about, you know, what about the rest of you guys? What do you, what do you think? Is that something that you, again, we don't always know all the circumstances. Maybe it was just the carb heat was on when it shouldn't have been or something, but if your engine failed generally and you had a forced landing, do you, do you think you would have departed without seeing, you know, seeking uh, help from an A and P? No, I mean, there's a, te- you know, there's a, there's, it smacks it to me a little bit of get their itis. So you, you know, you land, you, there was a problem and oh, it's, it's, you can get it started. Well, gee, I guess it must be okay. <laughs> and man, am I embarrassed to have this plane on this beach. I'm going to do everything I can to make that go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to get out of there. And, and it, it's it's sort of the kind of thinking that can happen in aviation if you aren't careful, if you aren't watching your decision making, and so yeah, I, I you know I've I made several safe calls that turned out I didn't need to make when I just was being ultra cautious, and I'm sure I would not have tried to take off mm-hmm. just just for for me. But I think it does. I can see how that line of thinking develops mm-hmm. for a bunch of reasons. <laughs> yeah. How about how about Sean or Carl? Would you? Well, Sean, you actually said you, you, you know, like I said, offline, you're judging whether or not uh, you're confident in your skills. But, you know, I think you were right. You, you wouldn't have felt comfortable taking off. No, not at all. Now, you know, I don't know this guy's background. Uh, I'm reading an article from AvWeb about the, uh, the incident. And that according to this, um, they promptly found a fuel system blockage with the repairs made in front of uh, beachgoers. He fired up the engine. Oh. And, and so I... I even so, myself personally, even if I found what I considered to be the problem, I'd still definitely get it checked out mm-hmm. by somebody. You know, it, it looks like you did a great job getting it down, 
But once down, I'd want to have it looked over and make sure I didn't do anything to it yeah. as it came in in the first place. Right. So, I mean, like like you say, Len, not to not the Monday morning quarterback the guy, but I I just would have made a different decision. Yeah, it's it, and I'm just curious, you know, even I guess we you, the more detail you get, maybe they are an A and P, or maybe they are, you know, if it's say for instance experimental in the United States and you can do your own maintenance, sure. But even then, you know. If I had to do a f- off airport forced landing, I may still be like, yeah, uh, my, my luck's my luck's been good today, and I'm not going to press it anymore. How about you, Carl? You know, th- this kind of reminds me of a guy that uh, I knew. He landed on uh, Route 80 in New Jersey, and uh, they decided they looked at the airplane. It was it was fine, and one of the instructors went out there and took off, and it was everything was okay. It's just you know, th- I'm looking at this video here, thinking. You know this. This could have been worked out actually. And, you know, if you look at his, I was looking at his rudder one when, when he was taking off, and it seems that this the plane was taking off, and it kind of veered a little bit to the left and went into the water. And if if that didn't happen, this would have been we probably never would have heard of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe you know it, it, it possibly that <laughs> I, I'm not sure, but uh, maybe if he was a little bit further from the water, possibly or. or uh, during his takeoff roll, that that wouldn't have made just a couple of inches would have made yeah. a difference, maybe, and and it's unfortunate that 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 wasn't the case. But it really, it was like looking perfect, and you're sitting there like, hey, that's pretty cool. He's going to take off, and then you see him putting on a lot of right rudder, and it's not going right. It's going left, and and boom, right in the water there. And gosh, you know, you're sitting there saying, oh, that's going to hurt. And, yeah. And then you see the damage to the aircraft, and, and you go, gosh, you know. But, but you know, I, I actually, you know, I had a stuck valve once, and uh, after we landed, you know, my boss said, hey, you know, uh, we're going to bring it into the hangar and take a look at it, and then uh, you'll be able to fly it, you know, on your next lesson. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm a little nervous there, guys, you know, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, they looked at it, it was fine. Um, but imagine if, if that turned out differently for me or whatever, so... Uh, it just, it looks like you know like the, like you said that there's more coming out about this story. Yeah, maybe it was fine. Uh, maybe it was okay to take off, but it just looks like if he had just a couple more inches, I make you bet he would have been been okay. <laughs> well, you oh. know, and that kind of that kind of poses this the second uh, second piece that I wanted to bring up, and that is, you know, I'm no Chuck Yeager, but I do have a lot of experience coming from the airlines. You know, just general airmanship. Um, with with all the hours that we fly, but even so, forget the fact that it was an emergency slash forced landing. I haven't really been trained to take off in sand, uh, or you know, we, we've done like off, um, you know, grass runway type of stuff. But uh, you 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 start landing and taking off on sand, and there's different considerations: air tire pressures, you know, how soft the sand is. So yeah, that kind of brings me to my next question of I probably wouldn't have attempted that takeoff even if it wasn't an engine failure just because I'm not comfortable taking off on sand. I've never done it. Um, and quite possibly with a slight incline, you know, it just needed more right rudder and quite possibly, it, you know, they were screwed from the get-go. You never know. might have just been a situation with uh, the, this, uh, the softness of the ground. You know, when you... When you go to grass airports, um, typically, if you have an opportunity, you you wait until it's been dry weather for a few days, and you know that you're not landing in a slushy, 
muddy field. So that kind of was the, you know, the next thing I thought of was maybe it was just too soft. So, you know, how about the rest of the group? Would you, if you, if you had landed on the beach, regardless, forget the fact that you had an engine failure, would you have tried to take off from the beach without, you know, never done it before? Yeah, I think that's a good reason to say no. You know, I don't have any experience with this. There's too many variables. You know, watching it, I believe is, um, from me, what it looked like. Because, you know, he, I, I didn't, we didn't see the landing, right? So he, he must have had some firm terrain to land on and had some sense of what that was like. But when I watched it, it looked like his left wheel caught, caught a wave, so to speak. It sounds like uh, surfing. <laughs> but, but, you know, it looked like, it, you know, had that wave been timed differently, because once he dug in, it reminded me of driving my car into the snowbank. If you get into a rut on the right side of the road or, you know, side of the road, it can, the wheel can't come back out. You know, it's just going to dig in. And it looked like that might have been what happened. So maybe, you know, you time it differently and maybe you get mm-hmm. firm ground and you go. But I think you're you're right. That's one of several reasons <laughs> to not do it. Um, and, you know, we also don't, you know, how, yeah, we don't know anything much about mm-hmm. how hard it would have been to get that plane out of there some other way and all those other factors. But no, I think you're right on that, uh, for me anyway. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point there, Rick. I've, I've actually you know, landed in some sandy and grassy areas, and the density of the sand changes uh, throughout, you know, depending on there's, if there's water, et cetera, on the sand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I have a lot of friends that have landed on, on sand on the beach and stuff like that. And uh, they, you know, they say the same thing. You never know if the sand could change all of a sudden. And, you know, what was a nice, hard, firm, firm surface all of a sudden becomes mush. And what if it's on just one wheel? Then you're, you're going right. in that direction. And it reminded that, me of, uh, of the Wild Alaska, some of those Wild Alaska scenes yeah. where he's landing right. basically in, in riverbeds that if they're not too deep, he can make it work um, with Tundra tires or whatever he had on. But, but once they get deep enough, he's got to be careful. He doesn't get pulled, you know, he doesn't nose over. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Interesting, you know, interesting points. And, and so the takeaway is fortunately neither the pilot, I think, uh, yeah, neither the pilot or the passenger were actually injured. So that's good that, you know, that's good. If there's one takeaway, it was uh, just an unfortunate and highly publicized mishap, um, but nobody was injured. But again, Really, the story is to spark a discussion in your thinking process. Uh, so if you're listening to this, you know, what would what would you do if you had a forced landing off airport um, due to an engine failure? And then what would you do if you were uh, had to take off on a terrain that you were unfamiliar with or never been trained on? So really, we wanted to use it more of a, a point to get you thinking about this scenario, thinking about what you would do if this happened to you and, and, and you know, Move on from there. So, and you know, funny, funny enough, talking about landings. Like I said, we were going to talk a little bit about uh, some some tips on how not to land at the wrong airport. Uh, again, we aren't sitting here trying to preach to you and tell you that we are aviation uh, gods, but we do. Uh, from some of our experience, Rick actually has a story of yeah. uh, an incident where he almost landed at the wrong airport. Um, and Carl and I, as flight instructors, have taught our students some helpful tips and tricks to, to help them identify airports and runways, especially, uh, not only in IMC, but in VMC. And, and so we kind of wanted to talk about that. But, um, yeah, what, you know, Rick, tell us what you, were, you know, what you were thinking about. Yeah, no, I mean, the reason I sort of, I raised the question, too, is because in the news lately, there's been s- sort of several high-profile Landing at the wrong airports. One in particular ended up at an airport. I don't. I don't. Re- I don't even remember which ones I'm talking about. Sean might remember them more more quickly. Maybe you guys would. 
where they were at a very short field for the type of jet they had landed there. And they managed to get it out of there. But um, the other one, I think, was just the wrong airport and the runway length wasn't really an issue. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, even when those occurred, you know, I felt bad for the pilots involved because I'm sure that wasn't their choice. They weren't trying to do that, but something happened. And um, but I, re I remembered that um, I was early on uh, becoming a pilot. I was flying um, and, you know, it's a plane with a GPS. So I'm not sure why. I wasn't better able to track it, but I think it's a good example. I was uh, going out to Barnes, which is, Len, you know, sort of Barnes. Here's a mid-state um, you know, destination for people in the eastern part of Massachusetts to fly west. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cross-country length trip. And, but right next to Barnes is Westover Air Force Base. And they, they are near each other, and you know that it's there and, and – um, you know, getting through the different airspaces is all fairly standard and whatever. Um, but I was flying there uh, early on, didn't have a lot of experience. And there was an incident at Barnes where they had, they were keeping planes out of the airspace for a little while till they cleared it up. Um, and so I, uh, I, I sort of headed north and basically put myself in a little, you know, holding pattern, looking out the windows, uh, just keeping track of where I was, you know, pilotage. Um, I thought, um, kind of doing turns and I essentially got disoriented. And so by the time I was still talking to Barnes, um, I was pointed at Westover and, um, fortunately, fortunately Barnes, uh, let me know that, <laughs> that from their point of view, what they were seeing, if they, if it was me, if this is the plane we think we're talking to, you're, you know, you might want to look over here. Um, and, and I think that must happen to them enough that they know, what the what that looks like from their point of view when a plane thinks it's coming in but it's got the wrong airport. So I, you know, I'd gotten turned around enough that I was, you know, not clear on where where I was pointed. And um, so, and you know, and I had there's other times where you mis mistakenly identify an airport and you're on your way somewhere and then you realize, but that was close. That was closer for me that to, to landing at the wrong place than than I've ever had. And I wasn't really very close at all, but I, I was shocked to find out that I was pointed at the wrong airport. And so, you know, it clearly can happen. And I've sort of been in that situation, but I always marvel at the fact that, that, you know, airliners can have that happen. And, uh, you know, that there isn't an, enough checks and double checks on where you're headed to prevent you from actually getting on the ground and taxiing, <laughs> taxiing off. So well, I don't know what you guys think of that, um, from your point of view. Well, it sounds, you know, sounds like you think it can happen, and you know why it can happen. But uh, I'd be interested to hear what you think. I I think it's really it's easy to have happen, and you know I'll just share a quick story. I, down in South Texas, I was landing in an airfield, and uh, I uh, I was looking at the wrong airfield. I started lining up with the runway, and of course we use you know the ILS, an instrument landing system, to back it up, and it, the the needles were way off. And I'm like, I'm dead on. Why are the needles way off? And then I realized, oh boy. I am actually at the wrong – this is the wrong airport. And, and, you know, it was far enough away. It wasn't that big of a deal. But, you know, I could, I could you know, as you get closer and closer, you realize, oh, wow, where, you know, where's the, where are the gates? You know, where are all the people? Oh, this is not the right airport. And you just continue on to the right one. I mean, that, that was obviously nothing that close. But, you know, you could – it can easily – it can re, really can easily happen. Peter O'Neill Airport, where I fly out of often – we had a C-17 land there not very long ago, and it lines up. It's only six miles away from the other runway, and it's lined up perfectly. 
And, you know, what goes through your mind when that happens? Well, you know, you, maybe you weren't following your standard operating procedures. And if you notice, most airlines now, they, they will have you follow either the guidance from the flight management system, the ILS, or, or an RNAV. And, uh, you know, I, I think we all have, you know, have looked at the wrong runway maybe and said, oh, gosh, that's the one. You know, you go into Louisville or not Louisville, go to Memphis, say, and um, – you go somewhere, it's got a lot of parallel runways. You may have looked at the wrong runway, but the wrong airport, yeah, that, that can happen. I don't know, Len, have you have you ever had something somewhat like that happen or close to well, that? Well, you get, I've been, um, I've been in a couple of situations where we've had pre-knowledge of this uh, one, one airport. Actually, when you go into Greenville, Spartanburg, down in Greer, South Carolina, GSP, um, there's three airports down there, and... For whatever particular reason, they all have the same runway. So each airport has a a single runway, and they're all oriented in, you know, give or take a few degrees. But for all intents and purposes, they're aligned in the same heading. So, uh, you know, flying in there for the airline, there's an actual warning inside our JEP manual, inside the company page that says, be aware that there are three airports in the vicinity, all with the same runway alignment. And use caution. Um, so, you know, I've been in a couple of scenarios where the situation has been like that, and we just you know, exercised extra vigilance and were more careful about what we were doing and cross-checking. Um, in fact, I almost... No, I'm thinking of uh, Knoxville, because one of the Knoxville air r- runways only has a visual approach. So, fortunately, it's not that one. Um, but, yeah, Greenville-Spartanburg is one of those that can be tricky for... Uh, for the airline folks. Uh, but, you know, there's there's things like Carl said. Um, a lot of, I think actually all airline manuals pretty much say even in VMC conditions, they want you to be backing up the approach, uh, the visual approach with some sort of published procedure. Well, there's very, very few times, only a couple, uh, honestly, that I can speak of that I've been on a visual approach in VMC conditions, and there is no published procedure. So you are, you know, as visual as visual gets. So you do have to use extra caution in that scenario. But what, you know, uh, Carl, one of the things I used to do with uh, my flight students is um, especially uh, getting them proficient with the GPS. And um, Rick, it sounded like off the air, you you know you are yeah. familiar with this function as well. Yeah, uh, a couple of, a couple of my CFIs have pointed it out to me, and uh, I was actually f- fascinated. I'll let you describe it, but I, <clears throat> and then I'll, I'll well, I'll just say this that ForeFlight added that as a mm-hmm. feature of ForeFlight too now. Yeah, which is you. So go ahead and you can say what it is. But uh, yeah, so basically, uh, and and right now I'm referencing in specific the Garmin GPS units. Um, this is the one that I was able to do this on. The one that I recall. Also can do this uh, on the Honeywell FMS uh, at work in a similar capacity. But what I'm talking about is the Garmin GPS, when you're not in VOR or GPS mode, there's a secondary mode called OBS. And when you when you put it in OBS mode, you can actually dial the runway heading. And OBS mode uh, with the runway heading dialed in will essentially mimic an extended runway centerline and on your um, moving map and and uh, MFD, it will draw that line out. So 
I was flying with a gentleman who learned to fly later in life. Uh, I think he got his private pilot certificate when he was about 61 or 62. So we started doing some instrument training. And, you know, just in visual conditions, you know, I was always trying to, I was always thinking of ways to help him make sure that he got to the right place and the right airport and, and just always gave him a lot of backups and secondaries. And that was one of the most popular things uh, that I taught all my students was was using that function. Now, on the Honeywell FMS at work, uh, we don't really have an OBS mode, but I can I can tell the, you know, the FMS, the flight management system, that I'm landing on runway 35. And then I can build a point five miles from the end of the runway and then extend it from there, essentially doing the same thing um, and giving myself at least some uh, lateral guidance that uh, I'm going in the right direction. So those, you know, those are the kind of kind of the, one of the tips that I use. But uh, uh, Rick, talk about more about your experiences doing so. Well, uh, I think my CFIs were were showing me that for the same reason, which is. One, here's a great way to get lined up on a straight in, <clears throat> which, uh, you know, when you do pattern, 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 you're, you're in the habit of uh, turning, <laughs> turning corners in a box shape to, to, to land while descending. But the, for me, the straight ins from, from far out, um, which happened a lot at Norwood coming up from the south because um, often we're landing on 3-5 and, and uh, it was just right in front of you and you'd just come on in and gauging where that was and intercepting it um, – was something that those guys showed me how to do so that I could um, track it further out. You know, look, we're already on the center line right here. And even if you couldn't, you could make out the airport without much detail, you knew you were there, um, which was nice. Um, so that's, that's how we used it. And, um, and I was happy to see, you know, like I said, Garmin added the ability, you know, they basically can turn that on and off, I think. But when you highlight an airport, those extensions, those runways head straight out from there. And, and for the same reason. So you're pretty clear on where you're, where you're going. So if you happen to be running for flight in the cockpit, that's another way to get some guidance on where the, where the right runway is and where the right airport is. Um, so yeah, that's all. It never really mattered in a crucial way for me, but I, I love, I loved it. It was also, you know, it was almost like a bonus little trick that no mm -hmm. one knows about, you know? Right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so. Rick, you know, when you were saying that, one thing that was kind of interesting, another trick that I found that I used to tell my students about and I used was that flight guide. You know, we talked about we have all these uh, different publications at the airlines that we, we that show us, hey, listen, watch out for this airport. You know, you might land at the wrong place. Well, flight guide has it. And since you know uh, for flight real well, I wonder if they have that in there also. But I know what I used to use flight guides so much because I was always afraid to get lost taxiing. And I was always afraid to land at the wrong airport. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my favorite things was the fact that I could see the airspace and make sure I was going to the right airport. Uh, do they? Do you know if, if Flight has that? I know you're a big well, user what's, of that. What's the visual? What, what do you, the visual, you describe? It's, it's from. It's from. They have two things. Of uh, they have the the taxiway, but they also have the airspace, and they show all the different air, airports in the area. And also, you know, of course, it's not for navigation, but at least it gives you a heads up, and it and it highlights the airport that you're landing at. In other words, if you open the page, you see the taxi diagram. On right. another page, you'll see the actual airspace. So I'm not sure if well, ForeFlight has something like that. Well, I mean, if you if you have got a flight plan in ForeFlight, the, the, both the airport, all the airports that you are going to reference are, or the waypoints are all highlighted. Is that what you mean? So you're looking at a sectional oh, yeah. with the right airport marked. 
Right. I mean, it's, but it's this like, this brings it to your attention, though. I think that that okay. was the other thing is is that it truly brings it to your attention yeah. that the the other airports in the area, um, right. which I thought was a little bit you know, but and and certain uh, little uh, references as far as visual references also, which well, I, I thought was really cool. And like I said, but what's funny as I think back about my little problem at Barnes was, you know, I had a Garmin in that plane, but I I you know I was I was looking out the window and said, oh, there it is, and I'd flown past. Westover, you know, a little ways back. And I thought, okay, I know where I'm, I know where I'm at. I'm just going to go up here. And I turned enough that I didn't know where I was, you know, that I did lose track. And I wasn't still tracking a GPS line to that airport, which I could have done, you know, just done a direct line. And I would have realized it was over, it was over there. <laughs> so, okay. uh, so I had some fallbacks that I wasn't using at the time. Um, so it, because I was just, you know, flying, looking out the window. So interesting. That's you know that's another good point. I didn't even think of that. Even if you uh, don't have a system with an OBS or an extended center line, even just doing a Rick, like you just said, just do a direct two, and yeah, it, it'll give you. Some, oh my gosh! I better turn right. Yeah, exactly. Way over there, exactly. Some you're, you're some realize. some sort of situational awareness uh, is <laughs> is better than none. So not hel- not helpful with the wrong runway at an airport, probably. <laughs> no, but, not necessarily. But, no. but helpful if if it's like five miles away or ten miles away. Right. Yeah, you're you're gonna know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we all knock those uh, the ADFs and, and the non-directional beacons, but if you had one on the field, it always pointed you towards the field. You know, and the right way to go. I yeah. mean, we don't use those anymore, right. but I right. I thought those were terrific. NDB, what's that? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, what is an NDB? Anybody <laughs> anybody in flight training today probably does not know what an NDB is. How unfortunate is that? I know, but, that, you know, well, actually, it's pretty good because they were so unreliable, honestly. But, uh, you know, and they were little AM stations. They they weren't so terrific. But, uh, <laughs> hey, you know, interestingly, on I just found a statistic talking about landing at the wrong runway. Uh, the Associated Press, they were talking about how they found 35 wrong airport landings over the last 20 years and 115 wrong airport approaches that broke off before touchdown. So that's not uh, a lot. That, no, if you think about it. Considering the amount of air travel, commercial air yeah. travel, that's like yeah. a tiny percent of a percent. Yeah, yeah exactly. there's 29,000 commercial flights daily yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. Oh. Pretty amazing. So it's very, very few. But it sure is embarrassing when it happens. <laughs> you know, imagine what went through his mind, you know, or her mind when, when they landed there. You know, oh boy, yeah. this is going to hurt my career. <laughs> you know, that's probably, you know, that's probably the first thing is like, ah, oh, crap. Now, am I going to yeah. get in trouble? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of paperwork. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah. Let's just let, let's just to tie the two stories together. Let's just fire this thing up and get out of here before anybody notices. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it's right, very yeah, simple. I like that. Oh man, I want this to go away. <laughs> what can I do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about you, Sean? Do you have any tips or tricks that uh, you know you've used before? A uh, combination of what we've talked about already, but things that you've used to help you identify runway. Not a whole lot of, but you know, like you guys were saying, use the extended center line mode and and just make sure that you're lined up on that extended center line. Um, you know, I haven't done it myself, but of course, there it's probably kind of like that gear up landing saying, you know, those who haven't, and those who will. Um, so I'm just uh, hope to double and triple check everything next time I'm flying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's uh, some tips and pointers we wanted to share on on. On the topic, not to not to make fun of anybody who's had that mistake, but to kind of discuss some of the things that we've done and we use to help us attempt to avoid that situation. You know, interesting. I heard someone say that they felt the media was kind of piling on 
on on these instances. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, there was two that were fairly close together, and there's not many of those that happen. I really can't blame the media. I mean, right. It's, it's like, and really? One of two? them was the dream lifter. I mean. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> you know, a big 747 lands at a small little airport. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And and not much is a secret this day with social media and and, and, and smartphones. So when something happens, uh, everybody's going to know about it real fast. Yeah. Um, well, but, pe- and people think that it's sort of all the stuff you guys do happens automatically. <laughs> I mean, they know there's they know there's a pilot up there, but they assume there's a lot of controls and mm-hmm. stuff. And and there is a portion of it that is human, you know, right. human ability. And and uh, you know, it, it, hopefully the the damage potential has been minimized in ma- many cases with flying. But but there are things that happen. And and if the worst case thing is you land at the wrong airport, that's not you know that's not too bad. Mm-hmm. But people yeah. t- they forget. It's like what? How can that happen? It's almost like. It's like you're flying on a rail and it's all pre- predetermined, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah. anyway. I'm on this little piece of string pulling, right. me, pulling me across the <laughs> <Right>. sky. <laughs> yeah, the guys up front are having a card game and, uh, right. and we'll land when we land. And, well, no, it's more, st- it's more complicated than that. <laughs> it's amazing when they don't realize that we, we, we actually land the plane all the time. And it's right. very rare that we actually let the airplane land itself, you know, and... You know, we're, we're some of some us don't of... fly airplanes that land themselves, Carl. So <laughs> that's this is true. <laughs> In fact, out of everybody, you're the only one that does. <laughs> yeah, and and that's why I'm in that airplane because it's so easy. Because <laughs> it's you know, so easy. Gear up, get your lunch out. Yeah, I was going to say know. landing was just becoming too cumbersome in, in Carl's workday <laughs> that he decided to really go was. work for a new company that you know the airplane lands itself. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> and, and and it'll fly itself. Oh, it, it's amazing though that how many people now just turn everything on, you know, right after they take off. I like to fly, but so, uh, you know, I'll fly up to about 10,000 or so. But gosh, you know, it's uh, even the ones that that uh, don't land themselves. I mean, they're just, you know, I mean, the auto trim and things like that. It's almost like you're not doing much at all, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I as a matter of fact, even just interestingly enough, you know, we're doing some certification and, and just trying to get enough uh, Cat 3 auto lands in, is pretty difficult, even with all the different flights that we do every day, because you know we have to have all the conditions right just to do an automatic landing, and uh, you know it's, it's it's amazing. But you know, to add to this whole conversation, we were discussing this the other day, and we're like, well, you know, we could just do the visual approach. You know, we we wouldn't have to put anything in the box because we can see, you know, the airport just twenty miles away. But what's the safest thing to do? Of course, the safest thing thing to do is always put it something in to the flight management system into whatever your navigation system is and back it up mm-hmm. and then go forward. So that's kind of like the takeaway here. Always have something to back up uh, your visual cues. I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Even a, even an on-the-field VOR, anything yeah. that points you uh, sort of in the direction, if you will, of the airport gives you that some some resemblance of situational awareness is is always beneficial, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really have anything else to add. I don't know if uh, Carl or Rick or Sean has any other any other information. No, I mean, there's ways. I guess my my takeaway was at the time, and and as I think about these stories, this can happen, <laughs> and 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 you can let yourself be sort of not as prepared as you could be, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, so just know that that's true. Even though you think, oh, wow, no way. Well, like Sean said, it'll, I mean, it doesn't have to happen, but it can if you aren't using all the 
information and tools at your disposal. Because mm-hmm. nowadays there's so many of those that I, you know, you really have to just, like I said, <laughs> you know, get complacent kind of. So mm-hmm. that's all. Not not uh, anything other than that. But just it's. I think it's a good thing to be reminded of. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Use all the, I mean, just use all the available tools you have, equipment, charts, whatever. Like ahead of time, here's my route. I better be careful because there's an airport right there. But, you know, the more you fly, the more you realize that there's those moments you go, is that it? Oh, no, that's not it. That's right. That's that other (laughs) one. And, and even, you know, so you're not even just doing dead reckoning or whatever. Um, uh, You know, if you look ahead of time, you at least are clued to the fact that you better be careful in a certain area that, you know, so that you don't get disoriented. Mm -hmm. So anyway. Yeah, Great you know, points, Rick. I tell you, I, I want to see Rick's guide to not getting lost. That's, that's good. <laughs> right, right. Really good points. Rick's guide to not getting lost is based on uh, based based on being getting a new lost. pilot. He's being very yeah. cautious, and, exactly. and but but all the information he always shares is is quite good on a, on being on a cautious side, and I like it. Um, I like it a lot. Our picks of the week. So we'll just make a transition over to our picks of the week now and speaking of rick i've got your name on the list to go first today sir awesome cool um well i think i've picked this before and and this is i'm picking it again because there's an update but i'm going to talk about it a little in case i haven't it's a um it's an ios ipad and iphone app for weather called dark sky does that ring a bell no anybody okay so what that the the beauty of it all along for me was that dark sky's goal is to warn you of weather in your area um within an hour so it will say and it will alert you you can set it for alerts and i found it to be just wonderfully accurate you know so i'm in natick massachusetts and i'll get a little tone and it says uh light rain starting in 45 minutes and and it because as you can imagine it's so close in in time it's very accurate um and and i and i like it a lot and it's it's um it's you know it's a three it's a four dollar app um and that that was great and i and i really swore by and i showed it to people and it was all it was a little bit of a gimmicky thing but it was very helpful well, now they've updated it. Version 4.0.2 was um, updated to be uh, iOS um, 7, um, designed uh, specifically for iOS 7. Um, and it's just a gorgeous weather app. And it's actually a much more uh, functional weather app than it was before. Like I said, it was a bit of a one-trick pony. It was a really good trick, but it was just one thing. Now, you, you know, you get a bunch of panels, you, you know, all the stuff you expect from a weather app uh, laid out in a wonderful you know, way. And, uh, you know, and I just, I highly recommend it. If you're looking for one, if you're into collecting weather apps like I am, um, this one has some really cool functionality and now a whole lot of great detail. Um, uh, and I, you know, can't recommend enough. It's called uh, dark sky, uh, sort of weather radar, hyper local forecasts and storm alerts. And, uh, and it's beautiful, uh, the new update. So that's, uh, my pick of the week. Cool. I'm going to check that one out as soon as we get off the air. It sounds like a fun yeah, one. It's beautiful. Well, I think I've talked about uh, my pick of the week uh, before, or somebody has, and I'm kind of sharing a, uh, a, a a new version of it, and that is the uh, Spot GPS Messenger. And this, I know, is a pretty popular device, actually, with pilots. Um, we have talked about using them for search and rescue in addition to, like, a, a um, pocket-sized PLB, but... Uh, I do know a lot of pilots that actually use it for tracking purposes. So they activate the tracking feature, and when they come home, they can see on a map 
you know, all of their, their coordinates, latitude, longitude, and a bunch of information. Well, the Spot GPS Messenger has now, uh, it's still for sale, but a new version has come out. It's called the Spot Gen 3. So it's uh, the latest generation of Spot devices. This one's actually pretty cool because not only is there some improved uh, performance um, in the device itself with some of the tracking, a longer battery life, etc., etc. One of the things, though, is it's motion activated, and that's really cool. So you don't have to turn the device on. You don't have to turn the device off through some certain software settings, pre-configurations that you do ahead of time. Um, You know, it knows once it's been sitting still for X amount of minutes to either stop tracking or power down, etc. So it's a, you know, it's a really cool sort of improvement on a nifty technology. That's the Spot Gen 3 um, by the folks from uh, Spot. So that's my pick of the week. And who do I have next here? Sean, tell us about your pick of the week, sir. Mine is uh, the new Sporty's Checklists app. It's uh, from Sporty's Pilot Shop, and it's available on iPad and iPhone. And um, it uses, uh, you may have seen the hard copy QREF checklist before. I know they sell those and their actual physical checklists, but they just released this uh, iPhone, iPad app. Um, the app itself is free. You just download that, and then there's a whole catalog of, according to the uh, the Sporty's Press release, there are more than 50 different models of airplanes within the app that you can purchase individually. Um, and so I've uh, I've played around with some other checklist apps in the past and I, I think it's a pretty cool you know instead of flipping through pages you get it on your screen you just tap each one as you go and it marks it checked off um i mean it's pretty pretty foolproof and i believe each checklist is uh, 9.95 so it's not that uh not that much and um looks like a good one i haven't had a chance to take it for a test drive yet but i'll have to do that and report back yeah sounds good please do carl your pick of the week sir uh, let's see. My pick of the week. Well, before I give my pick of the week, first of all, Rick, that was really cool. That Dark Sky app, and uh, he's already you know, bought it. He spent his four dollars. He's it, looking at it now. <laughs> no, this is so funny because my wife actually sees. You know, the iTunes account. She'll say yeah. she'll see the little charge for the Dark Sky app, and then she'll say. <laughs> Did Rick recommend that one again? (laughs) And and it's always it's Rick's fault. Sorry, she wants to know when you're recommending the the Diamond app. Right, there's a Tiffany's app. You've got to get the Tiffany's app. Yeah, the Tiffany's app. Deflecting all blame to Rick too. That's a good idea. Yes, yes, that's fine. (laughs) I do. I blame, but you know it's funny because you really. It's funny how that one you'll be able to use, and there'll be a perfect moment where you save the situation involving her because you know honey let's go inside we got about 30 minutes it's gonna rain and it will <laughs> and she'll look at you with wonder she'll say that rick he's a brilliant guy he is <laughs> he's a good salesman at least the uh, yeah. <laughs> but no that that actually is is a, a gorgeous app by the way but uh thanks for bringing that one up i definitely am buying that one um but hey you know my app my act's not an app actually it's uh, my pick of the week is king schools they, uh, I just finished the uh, flight instructor refresher course online, and about an hour ago, I just got a uh, – the ink is just drying right now on my flight instructor certificate. I just renewed it using the King School, so I was pretty happy to get that done. As a matter of fact, I have 
I have two temporary certificates in my wallet. I have no actual airman certificates from the FAA, the printed ones. I have two temporaries because I got my type rating and I just renewed my flight instructor certificate. So if you're going to renew your certificate, which you have to do you know, every two years, uh, there's some great online courses. Well, I've tried a bunch of different ones, I, and so I decided I'm going to try King Schools this year. The one thing I, you know, I really like the 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 way that they brought you through all the different lessons. I was actually able to do the whole renewal course in one day. I got up in the morning and went until I got it done, and it took it took a long time. But the neat thing about the the new refresher courses in the old days, or not the old days, not too long ago, actually, you had to actually spend a certain amount of time in class. Now you just have to be able to complete the lesson and be able to pass the exam after every different lesson, and then you get your certificate. The neat thing about this course here is the fact that they, they give you some really good things to use later on. Uh, it's, a, it's not as exciting as some of the other courses, and the only thing I can say bad about this is, you know, I'm one of those people that like John and Martha King and corny jokes, so <laughs> I, I didn't get to see too many of those. There was the introduction in the beginning, and the rest of it's all reading. But other than that, it was terrific. <laughs> you know, I love I love listening to John and Martha. So so if there's one thing that I can say that was a negative in this whole course is there wasn't enough of, of the two of them speaking on on videos and stuff like that. But uh, but I did learn learn quite a bit. The other part of this, I would highly recommend if you're going to do this one or anyone, is to have this certificate renewal service. Uh, to add that to whatever you do. Now, what is that? That's where they actually, you know, you'll do the IACRA, you'll do the uh, the renewal online, and through the FAA, they will actually confirm it, you finish the course, et cetera, and then you'll get your temporary certificate from them right away. Oh, I cool. Mean, it, it was like not, you know, exactly that day, but right away meaning a couple days. Because as you know, a lot of times it takes a while to get those things. So, so, so you didn't have to like, Print off stuff and make copies and send nope. like, like mail a package in for no, nope. okay. and you didn't have to go to visit the the other thing too is you don't have to go visit the FISDO, which you know can be you know tough to make an appointment in certain FISDOs. Mm-hmm. So you, they do it all for you. It's worth the money. It's not much more money. I think it's like thirty bucks extra to have them do all the paperwork and all the processing. Uh, I would highly recommend that. And, uh, and, you know, John and Martha King, they do a great job. They had some great teaching points. They do have some tools uh, that are included in the course that you can download, and those are good. Uh, But I will say, though, if you do sit down and do it like I did in one day, uh, I found myself towards the end just like saying, okay, I just want to pass this test. Because I I had it in my mind. I just wanted to pass the whole thing. And, Mm -hmm. And I was more driven by just passing the exam than than actually, you know, the learning process and taking my time. You know, I, I kind of, I, I had this goal of finishing in one day. And by the way, uh, you can actually not just, you can do it on the internet, but you can also do it on your, your, uh, on your iPad. So yeah, I would, I'd recommend it. But uh, you know, the only video you're going to see with uh, John and Martha and the corny jokes is, uh, I shouldn't say corny jokes. They're they're funny. Uh, is <laughs> is the for the video in the beginning, but you know, lovely people and I, I like I love listening to them because it brings brings it brought back some really fond memories of. Watching their tape, you know the tapes about the different types of airspace and you know mm-hmm. control areas, et cetera, from years and years ago. So you said something that piqued my interest because this is one of the reasons I've been using the AOPA Air Safety Foundation renewal is because it was uh, passing the test and it wasn't so many hours in the classroom or to, or it wasn't timed. You said the same thing about the King, so it's not and you that's know, true. Like have to sit in front of your yeah. computer. 
and move the mouse for an hour and jiggle it around. Right. Oh God, right. I hated those time, those ones. Yeah, and 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 by the way, too, and I think this is true of other courses. Another important point that I didn't make is that this credit is also accepted in the FA Wings program. Mm-hmm. And if you're not part of that, you should be. And that's at fasafety.gov, and you can actually get credit for that, uh, which is actually will go toward your flight review. Remember, that's the ground portion toward your flight review. So that's a that's a great thing to to get involved with, and they will actually certify that. I haven't done that yet because I just got my certificate today, but I'm sure the process will be easy and quick. I will say that that they were very responsive uh, uh, in getting everything done. So I, I was very happy about that. You know, I was like, Hey, you, this is done. You're, it's waiting for your signature. Let us know when you sign it. I signed it. I got my certificate within a couple hours after signing. Cool. They, they, so they did a great job. Yeah. And, and there's like all these really good, uh, resources you can download. That's the mm-hmm. other, the other positives. So those are the positives there, but no, you don't have to, it, it's like the FA is going with the airline. It's not, it used to be, it's how long it takes you yeah, to yeah. finish something, not how much you learn. Now it's just if you can learn the material yeah. and take the test and pass it, that's what they're what's important to the FAA now. Yeah, that's that was all that was important to me when I was choosing a course on uh, on renewal is because right. you know some of these you literally would have to sit in front of the computer and log so many hours, and it wasn't as if you could open your browser and walk away like after so many minutes of inactivity. Uh, either on the page or if the mouse wasn't moving, you know, it would log you out, and it was just very cumbersome. So, I like that. I like this transition to the new system. That's going to be way more effective in my renewal. In fact, I got a. What year is this? Twenty fourteen. I got to do mine uh, next spring, April of fifteen. Good lord, it's time right. flies with these CFI renewals. It's like you're always doing one. Yeah, it's uh, and remember, you have to do it within the three months. Uh, prior to your renewal, correct. If if you want to keep the same renewal date, but that you can renew your CFI at any time. Yeah. It's just if you want to keep the same renewal date, you yeah. have to do that three months prior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. The King Very schools, good. yeah, good stuff. I, you know, I love John and Martha. They're wonderful people. <laughs> Excellent. Good to hear. Good to hear. The after landing checklist. Well, that is all we have. For this episode. So, as a matter of fact, links and show notes for everything talked about today in this episode is available uh, at stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash 67. When you get there, don't forget to like, tweet, share the show. Uh, so you can leave us a comment on the blog. You know how much we love hearing from you. Uh, also, do us a favor when you get there. If you've enjoyed this episode, one of the best things you can do to help support the Stuck Mike Avcast is visit our sponsors, visit our affiliates on the website. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or even show ideas, ideas, did I just say ideas? I did. <laughs> show ideas. Send those, send those in too. You ideas can, uh, too. <laughs> you can reach us uh, from the website. The quick link to get all of the contact information, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash contact. From there, you can uh, send us an email, leave us a voicemail, write us a letter with a stamp and envelope and all that good stuff. Also, um, each individual co-host contact information is on that page directly. A special thank you to our fabulous and wonderful sponsors, the lovely folks at Aviation Universe, for so gracefully sponsoring this podcast. And now from myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, and Miss Victoria Zyko. Thank you so much for tuning into episode number 67. And until next time, fly smart and fly safe.
You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast, a Len Costa production.